Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Andrew. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast, In this episode, we'll be discussing Rishi Sunak's decision to delay key net zero targets. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our political editor, Andrew Marr, and our political correspondent, Freddie Haywood. So we're recording on Thursday morning. And at the end of the day yesterday, Rishi Sunak gave a speech rolling back on the government's net zero pledges. And for those of our listeners who missed it, the main announcements were that he pushed back the ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2030 to 2035. He scrapped plans to force landlords to upgrade the energy efficiency of their homes watered down the gas boiler phase out, and he ruled out any behaviour change measures like meat or flight taxes. Where's all this come from, Andrew? Because you were reporting, actually, that the government was assuring car companies that the scrappage would come about in 2030. They were assuring BMW as recently as last week. BMW have just invested £600 million to make uh, electric minis at the Cowley plant by Oxford. And they were doing it on the basis that these were hard and absolute targets which weren't going to move. Mm. And for a column I wrote this week, I was talking to an awful lot of the industry and they were actually praising Rishi Sunak for these hard, clear targets, which they said put Britain ahead of the rest of uh, Europe and gave us a very, very strong position. And they all said, you know, billions of pounds of investment is pouring into the EV system, into new charging Uh, networks and all the rest of it. And this is a really, really great moment for Britain. And then at the last minute, he tears it all up and goes in totally the opposite direction. He has infuriated open-toed, sandal-wearing lefties like the Ford Motor Corporation. (laughs) I think he was aiming this at sort of eco-zealots and he's ended up hitting a lot of British industry or certainly automotive industry and investment instead. And you ask where it comes from. It comes from Uxbridge. It comes from the Uxbridge by-election where they think because they hung on by a few hundred seats, that shows the depth of anti-green sentiment in the country. We should point out that ULEZ is nothing to do with net zero or climate change at all. It's an air pollution measure, which is widely supported in lots of parts of the country. But there you go. Right. Okay. And Freddie, what are the political calculations behind this decision? Well, I mean, I think this is the first time that Rishi Sunak's really spoken beyond those five priorities. If we exclude that maths until 18 uh, speech back in January, we've not heard about anything since. Um, So this, and he alluded to it in the speech as well, this is the the start of the the big reset, the comeback for the government where they want to 
take control of the narrative and also set out a vision for where the country's going to be in five, ten years' time. Whether it was successful, I, I think there's a large question mark over that. I think the reaction from business was very interesting, particularly once you put it into the context of the past five, six years. When you do speak to businesses, the thing that they complain about most is uncertainty because they can't make investment decisions. They need to know uh, what the policies are going to be like in 10, 15 years so they know that they can get a return on that. So that's the big problem for them. Politically, there is some uh, division within the party. We've seen uh, the environmentalist wing, people like Chris Skidmore, people like the peer uh, Zach Goldsmith come out against the policy, which is not that surprising. You should also know that there are people within the party who are sceptical of net zero and uh, the speed with which the government wants to pursue it. So there's some tension within this party he's going to have to manage, as with any policy uh, that he's tried to announce in the past six months. But I think the most interesting question is how Labour responds. So the whole point of the speech was really to to force Labour to come out and defend its net zero uh, agenda in the face of the cost of living crisis. And I don't think Labour have necessarily fallen into that trap. We've already seen them say that they're going to reinstate the uh, the car ban from 2030. Um, they can make a, a business argument for that, as we have already discussed. But I don't think they're going to get into a big debate about taxes on meat or uh, taxes on planes. But the broader political narrative, I think, is first that climate change is now a political issue, which it hasn't really been, I don't think, in the past five or six years, in part because it's been dominated uh, by Brexit and also because there was consensus between the two parties. And then I also think that there's a movement away from focusing on the individual and the sort of, you know, you could mm. characterize this as it often comes in the form of market boycotts almost, you know, like veganism or not flying. I mean, it's focused on the individual. And I think there is a shift uh, in general towards corporations and, and the state, which I think is a, a more sustainable, more practical way of looking at climate change. Mm. Yes, because he was saying actually this should be the consumer choice rather than the government forcing people to take these decisions. And that's, you know, I mean, we've seen that instinct from Rishi Sunak since he was chancellor. I know that you, Les, has changed the politics of this slightly, but he was the one who was constantly frustrated by Boris Johnson's quite animated commitment. Another way of reading that speech is as a full-throated attack on Boris Johnson yeah. and his legacy and the boiling frustration that Rishi Sunak felt when he was chancellor and Boris Johnson was prime minister. But just sticking with the, the electoral politics of all of this, I think it's pretty clear that there will be movement in both directions. Look at boilers and, and what the Prime Minister was saying about that. First of all, as I understand, there is no proposal that people are going to come into your house and rip out your old boiler and force you to pay £10,000 for a heat pump. That is a straw man like many straw men in this speech. You know, there is no proposal for a meat tax, seriously, from anyone in government at the moment. There is no proposal for a tax to stop you going on holiday. There is no proposal for a regulation to make you have three people in the back of the car when you drive off. All of these things are complete nonsense. They were playing to the gallery, playing to parts of the right-wing press, and they're, they're nonsense. But when it comes to the core of the thing, there are a lot of people in this country on relatively low incomes mm. who resent the thought, the thought that they're going to have to get rid of, you know, the family banger, the Volvo that's been standing outside the house for so many years and be forced to buy an electric car, which are, at the moment, relatively expensive, though the price is coming down the whole time. And I think some of them will be attracted by this and will move to the Conservatives. I think some people, you know, who are worried about the cost of insulating their houses, thought, well, why do I just put on another jersey? They will be quite like this. They will move to the Conservatives. But I think there will also be a very large movement away in the other direction. People will say this is the beginning of going cold on the whole environmental agenda. This is... Uh, the beginning of a journey which leads to climate change denial and hostility to net zero itself. And there are people inside the Conservative Party 
uh, and in Parliament who think that already. You, know, you can see this direction of travel. I think it's very, very dangerous for the Conservatives. The gamble he is taking is with all of those younger voters, all of those more environmentally conscious voters who are watching the news day by day and the droughts and the floods and the Antarctic ice and the rest of it, and would hate the idea of voting for a party which basically was turning its back on all of that. Yes, and even um, the sort of so-called blue wall affluent voters as well. I mean, every time I've gone reporting in one of these seats, what's very distinctive is the hum of electric cars. These are the people who have bought electric cars because they can afford them in advance and have persevered with the poor infrastructure for them. They might feel a bit cheated by the fact that this this target has changed. And, you know, they are an important voter demographic for the Conservative Party. Yeah, completely. I think there's been a few polls out this week that basically look at how people see the green agenda. Do they see it as, uh, in the long term, saving money and helping with the cost of living crisis? Or do they see it as a personal cost? And I think there are around... 50% of Tory voters who actually think that the green agenda could help with the cost of living yeah. crisis. And yeah. if you look at things like insulation or heat pumps in the long term, not in the short term, um, then they there are... They save you money. They save you money. Mm. So I think, and I suspect, and I, I would advise them to, for Labour to go down that route. Because what you've seen from Labour in the past six months or so is try to align the green agenda with better jobs, uh, a growing economy, um, regional equality. That's the sort of arguments that they were trying to make. And I think you can see very clearly the shape of the next election campaign in all of this, because the Tories are looking for ways to say that life is going to cost you more under Labour will cost you more. And they'll be saying it about taxation in due course. But first of all, they say Labour will cost you more because they will force you to get rid of your car. Labour will cost you more because they will force you to get rid of your boiler. Labour will cost you more because they will force you to insulate your house. Now, I think most of that is not true. I think there are ways of mitigating the costs and people are looking at it very cleverly. But that is, I think, where he is going. That is where Rishi Sunak is going. Coming up after the break, what our polling has shown about how much climate change matters to Brits personally. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yes, and I suppose there could be some mileage in that, because when you look at the polling, if people feel that climate change, sort of transition to green policies will cost them personally, then there is a bit more scepticism mm. about it. But overall, you know, we've had our own polling with Redfield and Wilton, who do some polling for us over the summer, that found 82% of Brits said climate change mattered to them personally, and only a little more than a third trusted Rishi Sunak's commitment to the environment. And you've seen the way the sewage crisis has been received publicly. Yeah. People really hate they the really idea do. that their environment might be in trouble. Freddie mentioned... Uh, Chris Skidmore, the Tory yes. MP, who's the guy who signed net zero into British law way back. Mm -hmm. um, I actually spoke to him this week and he was totally withering. He said, what we have to do is take this week as the Conservative Party and forget it and put it back in a box. This is an absolute economic disaster and it's a really bad political mistake. He was thinking at one point of putting in a letter challenging Rishi Sunak's leadership of the party around this. He's not going to do that now. Okay. 
But Zach Goldsmith, who again we mentioned earlier on, Zach Goldsmith says this is so disastrous, there should be an immediate general election on the back <laughs> of the speech. I get the impression this speech has not gone quite as well as Rishi Sunak. No. <laughs> and also, I mean, it's, it's a bit sad for Britain on the world stage, isn't it? Because we have yeah. been a world leader in cutting carbon emissions. Well, think of all the embassies in London that have just watched that speech yeah. and think about the fact that Rishi Sunak has not gone to the United Nations General Assembly this week. He sent his... Um, Deputy Oliver Dowden. But this is something that he's got um, experience with. When he first came in as Prime Minister, he decided not to go to COP27 in Egypt. Um, So he's not shown a commitment to net zero on the international stage. And it's going to have real growth and job consequences. Chris Skidmore spoke to me from New York, where he was at the United Nations Green Summit. And he said he'd just come from a panel discussion with big investors. And when this filtered out into the room, this news. It was a mixture of incredulity and anger. And of course, what was interesting was the way that this story came out. It was through a leak and it seemed to spook Rishi Sunak into doing that speech earlier than he would have liked. Yeah, I have to say, in terms of media handling, this is one (laughs) of the great catastrophes of recent times because they have this big speech. They're going to make it today, Thursday, or on Friday this week. That's the plan. Then somebody leaks bits of it to the BBC. The leaks then cause a huge angry reaction amongst industry and, above all, among Tory MPs. And so they bring it forward and they announce it on the day that inflation is falling. So they blow out their own inflation (laughs) announcement. And in the course of the speech, Rishi Sunak makes a big deal about how we have to have proper democratic debate on this subject. But he does does it on the, on the day that Parliament is no longer sitting. So they wait till Parliament's not sitting and then say we have to have a proper democratic debate on it. They announce it on the day when they blow their good news uh, generally. I, the whole thing has been an utter horlicks. Mm, and the fact that they were so distressed about the leak suggests that they did want to be very careful in the way that they announced it, which does suggest that they know that it's a bit of a gamble. Yeah, and also that they've been planning this for a long time. Mm. I mean, the three main things that uh, are going to be held up as the chance for Rishi Sunak to reset the narrative is the conference speech, mm-hmm. uh, the King's speech, when the government sets up their legislative uh, agenda, and also the autumn statement in November. They're the three set pieces, as it were. And this was the start of the build-up of momentum towards that. And then just going back to the policy, one of the really interesting things I thought in the speech that not many people picked up on was the fact that Rishi Sunak acknowledged that the national grid doesn't currently have the capacity uh, to uh, uh, to take in new energy from renewable projects. I mean, if you speak to industry, this is something they constantly talk about. Uh, they need the the new cables or whatever it is, the infrastructure within the national grid to be massively increased. So Rishi Sunak said that he's going to announce a plan soon to... Uh, to try and change that. And it's something that Labour's been talking about for a very long time. Well, this seemed to me to be completely nicked from the Labour playbook. Mm -hmm. I mean, Keir Starmer talks about little else except the need to change the planning system Mm -hmm. to to connect the national grid and and all of that. And this is something that Sunak has just swiped. Mm -hmm. It's yet another example of Labour saying something which appears to be very sensible, appears to get a consensus in part of the the business world of the community and then is just appropriated at the last minute by the Conservatives. But I think Labour can start to make something of this. Here are all the ideas from windfall tax to Mm -hmm. the grid, etc., that we came up with first. We've got lots more ideas if you elect us. And also the slogan about long-term politics. I mean, it sounded like a Keir Starmer speech for half of it because he said we need to get rid of this Westminster focus, short-term um, politics, we need to look to the long term. It's, it's, it's something that Keir Starmer has been talking about for a very Absol- long time. <laughs> Absolutely right. And Absolutely. the irony of talking about long term politics when you're switching targets every yeah. two seconds. Well, at least it, it was long term. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just this year that they're talking about. <laughs> I think the bigger sort of philosophical question behind all of this is whether when you look at these issues, um, a party which does not really believe in a big activist state 
is going to be able to address that. I mean, Starmer believes in state activism. And there's an awful lot of redirection of parts of the economy that's going to have to happen if we will hit these next zero targets. At the moment, you know, we do have a shortage of undersea cabling. There is an international scramble for cables at the moment. But we also have a shortage of cement. We have a shortage of steel joists. We have a shortage of tiles and much else. Um, And so there is going to have to be a government which feels a bit more almost like a wartime government Mm. in the way it directs. Uh, resource and redirects training. We need an extra 500,000 retrofitters within five years if we're going to make changes on boilers and we're going to make changes on EV charging and the rest of it. It's a huge job. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Andrew Marr and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.